Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Happy Haven Podcast. Today in the Haven, we had Ron Mars, prolific comic book writer. He's worked for all the major publishers and the indie publishers. Um, He's probably touched a character you love over the years of his awesome career. And uh, he was good enough to come in and talk with me and uh, hang out for a little while. And it ended up being a lot more interesting than I thought, uh, talking about South Africa and Cuba and comic book industry and how it's viewed worldwide. It was a really cool conversation. So uh, definitely uh, settle in and get ready for some really good audio. Hey, man, how are you? Hey, how are you, sir? I'm good. I'm um, I'm eating ice cream, to tell you the honest truth. <laughs> you know what's funny? I actually just finished a container right before I came up. Uh, my wife found... All right. I'm from Massachusetts originally, and my wife found uh, a Friendly's um, Reese's Peanut Butter Cup Sunday thing down here in Georgia, and she bought it. And Oh, my God. Yeah. I grew up on those. You, see? My wife, like, she, she knew it would go over well, but as soon as she got in the house with it, and she was like, I got you something. <laughs> and she showed me, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, that and the uh, the clown Sunday used to get with a kids meal at Friendly's. Those two things are like oh yeah staples for my my childhood dessert. We had a Friendly's. I know them well. Yeah, we had one within walking distance in uh, Taunton, Massachusetts. But I live in Metro. No, a bunch of them. Are, <coughs> most of them closed now. That's yeah. Um, they had some in Florida. We go to Daytona every year. <clears throat> for a vacation, and there were a couple, and in the past couple of years, as we've gone back, each time a different one was closed, and now there's none left, and I know when we first found them, when we went down there some years ago, I, I was, the first thing I walked in, I was like, Vermont White Cheddar Burger, and a Reese's Sunday, <laughs> like instantly. Yeah, <laughs> that's livid, man. Oh, man, I like, I remember the one that I went to as a kid, um, it had a, a, a window, or you could go in and sit down, and, you know, we used to take family walks to the friendlies, and go up to the window, and then just sit out on a, you know, nice summer night in New England, and sit there and eat ice cream, watching them build a... Well, this, uh, this, this particular ice cream came from Stewart's, which... You're from Mass. You're probably familiar with that too. I am. <laughs> I am very much so. Uh, we had a place in Carver, Mass. It was, no, yeah, I think it's Carver. It's right on the Carver Whitman line, called Peaceful Meadows, and they actually made the ice cream there. The cows were on the property, and uh, I had an aunt and an uncle that lived there. We used to go up there in the summer for cookouts once in a while, and that was the first thing I asked. We going to Peaceful Meadows? And, uh, yeah, this, my wife doesn't understand why I have a weird affinity for the smell of cow manure. I'm like, well, it meant ice cream when I was a kid, as weird as that sounds. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> whereabouts are you up north, then? Uh, I am just outside of Albany, New York. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you're you're definitely... Even higher up than I think my neck of the woods might have been. 
Yeah, not not too much further, but uh, a little bit. Yeah. God, I went through New York uh, a couple years ago. My dad got uh, <clears throat> hurt in a propane accident. He actually, a career that almost doesn't exist down here in Georgia, but is very prominent where you are and where I'm from. He's a propane guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he got hurt uh, on a construction site. Um, the construction company gave faulty equipment, and it, they were working during the winter remodeling the science wing of a high school or something, and I know they gave them those portable propane heaters, and one of them, they hadn't had them inspected properly, and the float valve was bad, so the whole time my dad was hooking it up, um, it was leaking. And then when they fired him up, um, he was in the middle of it wow. when it went off. And uh, you know what, though? It's kind of crazy. Um, ended up, uh, what's the really good burn hospital in Ma- in Boston? Is it Beth Israel? I- I'm, I'm not sure, but he ended okay. up there. Yeah. Uh, no skin grafts, um, no surgeries, minimal scarring on the hands. Um, he was fully uniformed, so that actually protected a lot of his body but um i remember i drove up from georgia to massachusetts in one shot and i never thought that i would see all of new england in one day um as soon as i got out of uh the carolinas it was just like i hit 95 and it was just straight north and yeah uh yeah i new york city um <clears throat> we don't really if you're if you're driving up you don't really go through it uh to get to Massachusetts you go through the Bronx pretty much exclusively but you got to cross the GWB oh, yeah. and good god man it was like like 15 bucks yeah. to get across Oh, believe me I know whenever I drive into the city uh I you know we we've got an easy pass so it's like I don't really I don't really know what it costs and that's probably better that way it really is because they've got the big sign for how many axles you have, and, and it, it is. It's it's almost up to twenty dollars for two axles, which is just a car. I mean, twenty bucks yeah. to drive across the freak. And of course, I got stuck underneath. Um, I wasn't paying attention, and I ended up in the underneath, which is always great and smells great. And you ended up on Martha. Oh man, it was so gross. And I was like, I, I, I don't miss that. We used to, you know, I mean, I had a punk band in Massachusetts, and we used to go up into New York and Providence and Boston to play. And I used to love going into New York, but trying to get in and out of it through the Bronx, I was like, eh, it's not the same. <laughs> it's, it's really not. Uh, we had a guest on who, he created the comic, um, was it Hobo with a Shotgun? And I guess, oh, yeah. yeah, there's like a uh, Hilton Ariel Ruiz and uh, there's a movie coming out and they've done all these short films and, you know, he did the book. So we had him on to talk about that. And he said that um, most of Brooklyn's been completely gentrified. And oh, yeah, absolutely. That like blew my it's mind. It's not the Brooklyn we grew up with. That's a shame to me. I mean, it's good for the city. You know, I mean, if it's bringing in, you know, good revenue and stuff, good for the city. But that's, 
I don't think people going in now who've never been understand what they're not getting to see if New York gets a full makeover. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, it's, uh, you know, Times Square is, you know, when I first started going to the city, Times Square was, you know, 1970s, you know, late 1970s Times Square. Um, uh, you know, it was... It was the Times Square of Martin Scorsese and you know Mean Streets, right? Taxi Driver, and you know now it's like it's like Disneyland. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah, it went from the Warriors to Oliver and Company real fast. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, he was talking. He was like, "Man, it's neighborhood after neighborhood," and then I'm seeing them doing it here downtown in Atlanta. Um, I actually had a band here too for a little while, and. One of the clubs we played, it's real prolific for the Southeast. It's called the Masquerade. Um, it's this old uh, mill downtown, and they didn't update the building. They just threw some speaker racks in there and turned it into a club back, I think, in the 80s. Um, you look up who's played there, and it's just like, wow, over the years. And we actually got to play in there, and they uh, they shut that down. And the entire street, last time we were down there, all the houses had X's on the doors. And we, I went through last month, um, I was covering Momocon in Atlanta, uh, one of the Comic-Cons down here. And I was taking my little one, and we, I, just, I just happened to go down the street just to see if the building was still there. And they wiped all those buildings out. They built a co-op farmer's market. Put in a city park, a business park, and a bunch of high-rises in like <clears throat> a year and a half, two years since they announced the masquerade was closing. It it didn't even... I, I mean, I thought I turned down the wrong street. They'd, wow. they'd overhauled it so much. Yeah, so... I mean, I get it, but at the same time, it's like there's a lot of history lost when you do that. So, Well, it's, you know, the places lose... I think a lot of times places lose their character and turn out to be like every place else. Yes. You know, they, they lose what made them unique, and then they just turn into a, a typical suburb of, you know, whatever. You, you know, to me, so much of the country looks like so much of the rest of the country now because it's all just the same. See, I travel a lot, and I know, I'm sure you do, um, you know, being in the industry you're in and cons and meetings and everything. Everything's homogenized. Like, you know, I, I never... Thought you'd see the day where parts of Arizona would look like Kansas, would look like North Carolina, would look like Iowa. Would you know, like it's all big box stores, chain restaurants, and hotel chains, town to town to town. Yeah. Now it's it's sad to me. No, it's bland. And you and I might not like it, but I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people like that. We find comfort in sameness, you know. They they can, you know, they can go to Applebee's wherever they are, you know. <laughs> right. Because God knows the day's not complete until you get a poorly cooked riblet basket. God's on his roof. You know, it's like sure. Let's just make everything safe and the same. Oh, look a Walmart, you know. I don't know. I I just you know. I mean, I I grew up. Uh, I started my, my memory started at the very beginning of the 80s and 
man, everything's just a lot different. You know, like, just a lot different. Uh, nothing has personality, really, anymore. And everything's kind of become, like, shallower and more disposable. I mean, even... Well, you know, like you said, it's all it's all homogenized because that's what... Uh, uh, so many people like familiarity that... Um, that's what they, you know, that's what they, that's what they build. That's what they give them. Right. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, if you can tell, I don't do my podcast like a, like a lot of other people do. I don't, I don't do the press conference style. I don't do the, the hardcore interview. I mean, like, this is what it's going <laughs> to, we'll talk comics, but I mean, this is, this is what it is. I, I like actually just talking to people and the podcast affords me to, the opportunity to talk to really, really cool people. Um, I've been into comics my whole life, so I've seen your name a lot over my years on a lot of different titles. And when you said you would come on, I was like, whoa! <laughs> because, yeah, there, there, there are certain people I've reached out to um, that I was like, man, it would be so cool if they came on, and you were definitely one of them. Uh, I had Eric Larson on and Brett Booth, and yeah, like you guys, you guys are provided me many, 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 many nights and weekends of just happiness and escape. So I am more than thrilled to have you on, sir. Most definitely. Well, thanks. I appreciate the invite. It's uh, you know. I, and I appreciate you reading this stuff because, you know, that's kept me from having to get a real job for a long time. And I'd like to keep it that way. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, here's hoping this lets me leave a real job one day. Um, so, I think... Wait, you, you... You you started comics, what, in the in the late 70s? No. Late... Late 80s? Early nineties. My first Early 90s, my first job came out in nineteen ninety. That's right. That's right. I th- I thought I thought it was. I Um So like did you grow up liking comics or I mean like how did you I, I think everybody who works in comics grew up loving comics, but Yeah, I mean this isn't the sort of job that you stumble into because you were, you know, because you wanted to be a screenwriter or a novelist or something like that, and you just, you know, comics, you know, okay, comics work. So I think you have to, you have to have a certain amount of love for them, um, in order to, in order to do it, because it's a, it's a, it's a tough gig. It's, a, you know, it's tough to break in, and it's a tough gig. It's, I think it's a tough gig to break in. It's an even tougher gig to stay in. So, um, you have to, you have to have a real love for the medium. And, um, yeah, I, like everybody else, grew up reading comics um, uh, as a kid and then, you know, followed the usual path of, you know, you become a teenager and you're in high school and you discover girls and cars and <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, forget about, you know, and, you know, keggers in the woods and you forget about the comics for a while. But then, um, I guess in the in the mid-80s, I sort of, rediscovered them, um, stumbled across um, some of the later issues of Frank Miller's Daredevil and, and particularly uh, Walt Simonson's um, 
Thor run God, uh, on a spinner rack in a in a uh, in a convenience store and just sort of pick them up on on kind of a whim on spur of the moment um, and uh, you know that sort of reignited my my affection for them and I started to uh, kind of reach out for um, for more of what was out there and obviously in that in that era some of the independent companies were starting to pop like uh, first comics um, first comics a little later dark horse Kamiko um, so I was reading you know most Marvel stuff uh, first comics um, stuff like Nexus American flag was Valiant um, around then Grendel um Valiant was not really a thing at that point. I right. didn't really pay any attention to them until, um, you know, shortly before I started working for them is when they really kind of made their mark. Did you so, say Grendel? You know, Hold so on, it was I don't like mean... that mid-80s period. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, did, did yeah, you yeah. say Grendel? Oh, my God. I love that. I yeah, actually I'm... still have um, in a in a pull box in the, in the closet downstairs, I still have my Batman Grendels. I, that character, oh, yeah, that, that was such a unique book to me at, at the time that, that, that it was being written. Um, that that wow, I haven't even thought about Grendel in forever. <laughs> yeah, a lot. I, I, I Marvel in the eighties was a was you know a great bunch of books. Miller's Daredevil, Simonson's Thor, mm-hmm. uh, John Byrne's FF. Um, and then Teen Titans over at uh, over at DC, um, but like I said, independent stuff like Nexus, Grendel, American Flag, um, and then you know mid '80s Dark Knight and Watchmen hit, and that was sort of you know that was sort of the bombshell that that went off, and I kind of realized, oh yeah, this these are you know you can do things with these stories because I had always you know my intention was always to be a writer. Um, cause I didn't really know how to do anything else. Um, right. and, um, you know, when I graduated from college, I worked at a daily newspaper as a reporter and then an editor and got into comics, um, probably late 89, early nineties when I actually started writing stuff. And then my first, Silver I think Surfer, my first right? story was published. In, uh, yeah. Yeah. My yeah. first stuff was published in, um, in uh, mid, you know, mid nineteen ninety. Nice. So, were you were you around for the what if stuff? I got really sucked yeah, into collecting. I wrote those, a number Marvel of what, what ifs. ifs. Um, I wrote a I wrote a bunch of what ifs because my uh, my first editor was Craig Anderson. He was the Silver Surfer editor. Um, and you know the the what if stuff was kind of a proving ground where they would give um, new writers and new artists assignments to, to you know, they had to fill that damn book every month. Right. Um, so it was a it was a process of constantly pitching stories at at uh, at my editor. And most, you know, he took most of them because they, you know, the churn on that on that title was so uh, was so crazy that they just had had bunches of title, you know, bunches of, of issues being worked on at once by any number of creative teams that, you know, doing, um, 
you know, doing a title like that is kind of is kind of like hurting cats because um, <laughs> you you've got you know you've got just a myriad of stories going at once, and all of the creators are relatively new for the most part. Um, half of them don't know what they're doing, but probably including me at that point. So that you know, that's not a that's not a editorial gig that I would wish on anybody. But right. I probably did six or eight of them, or maybe even more. Um, and ultimately, they were good. You know, they were good proving grounds because you you know you could uh, you could come up with a story. You'd had to get in and get out and tell the tell the whole story completely in one issue. It was a good training ground for honing your craft. Nice. Yeah, there were two that have always stuck with me. Uh, it's funny. I was talking to my 10-year-old the other day about some of the old comics that, that I read growing up, and I, I was telling her, I was like, there was this really cool little thing that Marvel did for a little while called the What Ifs, and the two that stood out to me were uh, the one about if the brood attacked, and they basically just eviscerated the entire Marvel Universe in that issue, and then um, what if uh, the Kingpin owned Daredevil? Those were the two that, like, always stood out to me. And I remember uh, the Brood one, I mean, watching the teams go down was, was you know, shocking to read at the time. But it was the, it was when they get Spider-Man on the roof, and it's just the word bubble of him trying to say Mary Jane, and then you just see a Brood hand come up, and, and the only thing in the panel is a Brood hand holding a heart. And I, like, I remember being like, holy crap, they ripped Spider-Man's heart out of his chest. Well, you know, those, those what-ifs gave you, the, gave you the opportunity to do all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, because, you know, there were no ramifications. It didn't mean anything. Uh, so, so a lot of times those stories turned into, well, well who are we going to kill this week? Uh, <laughs> right. because you, you know, could you get away with it? Um, uh, but like I said, it was, it, you know... I. I certainly don't look back on on any of those as as my proudest moment, but it certainly helped me hone my craft. And you know, and they were it was paying gigs, so that was cool. Um, but it, it, there's a virtually every show I go to, I sign a couple of those what ifs, and and sometimes somebody, you know, there's a there's a set of fans out there that are just like really into the what if issues. Uh, and so once in a while, somebody will bring up, like, every damn what if I, I ever did. And, <laughs> like, some of them, I don't even remember I did them. Wow. I'm confronted with, I'm, you know, I'm confronted if, you know, like, what if, you know, <clears throat> what if uh, Ghost Rider was a chick? Uh, you know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I actually did this. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I'll sign it. But yeah, I mean, it was just it. I mean, I guess for for the reader, especially, you know, I I mean, I was coming into my teens, and yeah, same thing where books fell off for a while for me um, because I discovered girls, and I don't know if it's a New England thing, but when you said keggers in the woods, I was like, man. So there there was uh, in Taunton, Massachusetts, we had a place called Fort Miles Standish, right? It's like one of the oldest military, it's real, you know, uh -huh. it's talked about in all the history books. Well, they converted it, the, the army or the military, whoever owned it, uh, sold the land, and they turned it into an industrial park. And while they were building the industrial park, um, 
it had this really beautiful lake in the middle, and they hadn't they hadn't deforested it yet. They actually, I still think that part is left like that. They may have turned it into a park at this point. But I remember, uh, I think my sophomore or junior year, we got a bunch of furniture, and I don't remember where we got it from, and we lugged it all into the woods, <laughs> built a fire, built a fire pit, and like now is like a you know, as I'm looking at 40, I'm like, that was disgusting. Like, we didn't cover those chairs that whole summer. And there was weather that whole, like, we, like, but yeah, man, we made, like, we made our spot in the woods. And I wonder if that was, like, a New England thing for, like, high school kids to do. Like, we had our spot. Nobody knew where it was but us. And... I got to watch my friend not listen to any of our advice and roll his Bronco trying to drive up a gravel pit that they had left to spread out for one of the new buildings. And, like, he didn't listen. And that thing rolled, and we were all just like, I, I, I got to go, man. That sucks. You know, <laughs> this is like, I think maybe we had pagers at that point. I never had one. I wasn't allowed to. My dad said pagers were for doctors and drug dealers. So uh, I wasn't allowed to have one. But, I mean, like, I'm pretty sure we left Brad White in the freaking woods with a rolled-over Bronco. And we were just like, the cops are going to be coming. Like, we, we need to go, dude. Sorry. <laughs> uh, um, I, you know, I think, I think at least, like, pre-internet, everybody basically had the same, you know, same adolescence. Yeah, and it was great. And I think, I think something's been lost in that, because... Man, I mean, even as a kid, though, like, summer vacation, there was no sleeping in and then watching cartoons, sleeping in until noon, and then getting on a device, and, you know, it, it was 7.30 in the morning, up, breakfast, I'll see ya, bike, I'll see ya at dinner, maybe. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, day after day. I mean, even if I was by myself, it was still a kid and his bike, and, you know, I, I'll see you later, and... You know, I have so many memories from that, and I think there's, you know, there's almost a whole generation of kids, depending on on how the parents are raising them, that, that don't have that. They have, you know, prearranged play dates, and, but it's always either at somebody's house or at a building somewhere, and it's completely controlled and supervised, and, you know, there's not a lot of adventure for kids today, and... I mean, comics fueled that for me as a kid, too. You'd read comics, and you'd bring it over to your friend's house, and they'd read it, and you'd switch back and forth, and then the next thing you knew, you were tearing ass off on your bike somewhere to go in the woods, and then either play out that comic or make up your own characters. And Yeah, I think, you know. I think there was a, you know, certainly... Well, I look back at, you know, the stuff that I did as a kid and the stuff that my parents let me do as a kid. Um, uh -huh. It was ultimately probably pretty good for me to, you know, being more independent and and certainly stuff mm -hmm. that I would not let my kids do now because we live in a different world. Um, so it's, it, there's a balance there of, of, you know, it's, it's good to, you know, go off and, and be independent and, and, you know, experience and, you know, be some, somewhat self-reliant, but also, um, you know, let's not get, let's not get crazy. And, you know, I look at some of the stuff that I did as a kid and realize, oh, right. probably, you know, that probably wasn't the best idea that I've ever had. Um, <laughs> Trust me, I have two kids, and I am one of those parents that's like, no, <laughs> no. Yeah, don't don't do what I did. Um, right. 
but you know, I wear it as a badge of honor. But for you, it's a cautionary tale. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but so, I mean, you've worked like I mean, I, I've followed. You know, like I said, there are certain writers and artists that I've always paid attention to and followed. And man, like you've you've worked everywhere. That's I, I think that's awesome because you what you've worked. I know what you did some Star Wars stuff for Dark Horse. You've worked for Top Cow. Um, I actually had Matt Hawkins from Top Cow on. Uh, oh, cool. For, yeah, not that long Matt, ago. Matt was uh, Matt was basically my convention wife for the month of for the month of May. Because I think we saw each other in in on three different weekends in May. On, He's awesome. In um, let me see, it was uh, in South Africa. Yes. Then in uh, then in uh, Southern California, and then in Cuba over the space of four weeks, I think. Wow. You know what? On his episode, he actually said. I'm getting ready this week. I take off to South Africa next week. Like, he talks about South Africa on the episode he did with us a little while ago. Yeah. I remember him talking about that, getting ready to go to South Africa. So how was that? Uh, it was amazing. You know, the fact that I got to go to South Africa and, um, you know, do all the stuff that I did. Um, uh, you know, go on safari, go to the Cape of Good Hope. Uh, go to the top of Table Mountain um, outside Cape Town um, because I write comics is sort of mind-boggling, um, and obviously I'm, you know, I can't I can't believe how fortunate I am that comics have uh, have expanded to a worldwide audience that these opportunities come along. Um, you know, I've been to I think six different continents because of comics now and. Um, wow. it's, it's, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty mind boggling. Um, uh, you know, you don't, you don't ever want to look the, the gift horse in the mouth, but once you want to, you step back and sort of scratch your head and go, man, how did this happen? Right. So how was, how was Cuba? Like, you know, I'm, I'm from the generation like you where Cuba was like, oh, snap. <laughs> how well, yeah, it to like, actually be there? It was amazing. I, you know, it's one of my favorite trips. Um, and to, you know, to be fair, we got the red carpet rolled out for us. We get, we, we were part of a really kind of a cultural exchange with Cuban creators and uh, artists, writers, animators, journalists. Um, oh wow! So, so we went down there to, you know, not for a comic book convention per se, but for a for a creator conference where we just. We did panels. We, you know, had uh, sessions where we sat down and talked with our Cuban counterparts. Um, and then the the rest of the the experience was, you know, they had, uh, you know, they they took us to dinner every night. They took us to lunch every day. Um, they showed us uh, they showed us old Havana. They showed us um, oh, just uh, different, uh, you know, different. Um, music venue every night for for dinner with a with a show for uh, you know for Cuban music. So it was um, you know it was the best possible experience 
you could have in Cuba, I think. So um, right. I would I would go back in a heartbeat if they you know if they carpooled into my driveway now and said we're going to the airport and heading for Cuba tomorrow, I'd jump in because it was just you know that it it was an amazing place because it felt like it. Um, it felt frozen in time to a certain extent, and everybody sees right. the the everybody sees the pictures of the cars from the forties and fifties. Yeah. Um, so so the assumption is that the island is frozen in the nineteen fifties, and and to a certain extent it is, but it's also frozen in the eighteen fifties and the seventeen fifties and the sixteen fifties because. Right there are pockets of history on the island that are just as they were that you know the 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 bars where hemingway drank and the the forts where the spanish fought the english uh in the 1600s the the um the manufacturing places where you know was where rum was made by uh slaves that were imported i mean it's just the the island is sort of this um this living document of different I was eras. Gonna say, it sounds like a historian's dream. That's got me like salivating. There, um, I get, I get really into that. Kind and of and stuff. obviously, I mean, a, a big part of the, uh, a big part of the the attraction was to get down there now, before, um, before it changes, before, um, before what the island is now, it you know starts to go away little by little. Um, and it's you know so it's a really it's a fascinating society because um, because they um, the people make do with whatever they can get their hands on um, right the the embargo you know the U.S. embargo has obviously had a huge effect on the society down there and obviously not for the good um, so that's unfortunate that's yeah that's unfortunate so it's it's it, you know it's you know it's unfortunate but it's there's a there's an aspect to it that the the cuban people are justifiably proud of of what they've been able to accomplish with limited resources most uh, definitely yeah the, i mean i i think it's a shame that you know because of a government squabble an entire island full of people paid for it like that's that's ridiculous um, to me. sure and and you know but like i said it, the, the people are justifiably proud of what they've been able to do despite the situation um the 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 conference that we had was held in an animation studio and they were they were proud of everything they've been able to accomplish everything they have um yeah. the, the ingenuity displayed by um by the cuban people despite this uh this political situation is is pretty amazing i mean all of those all of those cars that you see they, you know they the frankenstein cars basically you know it's not like those things are you know still still toting around the parts that they came with in 1954. They've all right. been sort of Frankenstein together from whatever they can do. Um, and, you know, the fact that those cars are, are still running at all is, is pretty amazing. But, um, the, the fact that they're as gorgeous as they are, um, it's, um, it's, you know, it was just a really a glorious place to be, and I, you know, I hope I get a chance to return because um, I would like to see, uh, I would like to see the evolution of of what's going on down there. So, what is going on down there? Are they are they finally getting able to to modernize or? 
Well, it's um, you know from my perspective, and I, just, I didn't, I didn't, know. you know, I saw, I saw Havana. I didn't see the rest of the island. It's right. so, you know, what I saw is obviously anecdotal, and it's a fairly small slice. But the, you know, the the modern world is the modern world is coming there. It's it's already there. Um, um, but. Um, the the you know you could you could go to places around Havana hotels libraries and see people on their phones uh, picking up um, uh, picking up Wi-Fi to you know to get connected um, right. so the you know the door is open there uh, the, the the outside world is is known in Cuba it's not like they're you know naive about yeah. what the you know what the what the world is like. It's not like they're naive about entertainment. They, you know, they have ways of getting their hands on everything. Or, uh, you know, we, we talk to, we talk to a lot of people about what's going on on Game of Thrones. Uh, you know, nice. they, 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 you know, they, they find ways. They, you know, they, they, they do have touch with the outside world and that's just going to, going to increase. I think the. um, you know, he says that uh, you know that our 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 hosts felt like um, uh, you know they 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 do know what's going on in the outside world, and it's it's a matter of how how that process is going to be managed. I think um, because obviously once once that door is open a crack, you can't you can't keep the island isolated anymore, even if you are you know limiting flights and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's um, you know it, it's going to happen. The question is how uh, how well or how poorly it gets managed. Gotcha, gotcha. So how much talent is there? I, I imagine, like, like you said, meeting with their creators and animators and all that. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, it was a, it was a fairly it was a fairly small slice, but I saw some I saw some great portfolios. Had some really. Um, uh, had some really great discussions with um, with writers down there who were um, who just you know just wanted to tell stories, not necessarily even comics, but you know novels. Uh, however, they could get their stories out. It's you know it's a um, it's a passionate literary culture there, and they have uh, they have stories to tell. We saw some comics that are being produced there. Um, you know, sort of by people just doing it by their bootstraps. Um, it was, you know, it was pretty inspiring to, to, to watch all this, to see all this stuff and understand the, the barriers that um, the writers and artists are facing and they're still managing to get their material out there, to get their, to get their material into the hands of, of an audience that's, that's hungry for the stuff. That's awesome, man. Like that's yeah, that's amazing. So yeah, that's definitely a that's definitely a perk for her to be a part of that an experience like that. Um, for what you do, that's yeah. I'd, I'd love to do so. I'd love to do something like that. <clears throat> That'd be. I mean, I've traveled all over this country, and you know, I'm well aware that there is so much more out there and you know someday I'd, I'd like to I'd like to be able to do something like that that sounds absolutely amazing 
it was it was certainly one of the you know one of the highlight trips that I've that I've been on, and I've been to a number of really amazing places. But um, just the was a place I never thought I'd probably go, and and really got to you know got to you know immerse myself in in what was going on down there. Right, most definitely. That's like I said. I mean, that's trying to come up with good words to describe that because that just sounds like a dream so that's awesome man I, I love that um <clears throat> what I was going to ask is you know I had um Pete Samedi on uh he runs Alterna Comics uh-huh. and you know like I said I talked to uh Jason Copeland and Michael May who do Kill All Monsters and yeah, I've talked to a lot of independent artists, and I was going to ask, having been at the major labels and working with, you know, the the more independent labels, and being in comics uh, for, you know, over 20 years now, where do you think the, the state of the industry is? I see a lot of people are saying that, you know, there's too many titles, there's too many changes to titles, there's, you know, it's hard to get in. If you're a new reader, it's hard to get in. Like for me, if you did collect but then walked away and tried to get back in, you know, uh, where do you see the state of the industry with all that right now? Um, if um, it, well, I, I think you have to you have to differentiate between the state of the industry and the state of superhero comics because I think those are two completely different things. Um, okay. Most of the time, people say when people say comics, what they really mean is Marvel and DC superhero comics. Um, and, you know, those Marvel and DC superhero comics are what they are. Um, they go through, uh, they go through peaks and valleys. I think, you know, Marvel's in a little bit of a valley right now as they sort of get their house in order. DC, um, DC seems to have gotten its house in order, uh, yeah. in the last, last two years or so. Um, but that's, that's the nature of it. That's the, that's the, you know, the, the pendulum, type atmosphere that you get from Marvel and DC and yeah are there are there too many titles sure are are you know are we probably putting too much material into the market sure um but i think um i think there's probably more good comics material uh coming out every month than there has been in the history of comics right now because of uh because of all the different publishers that are out there um you know, there's there's a wealth of material, and just by just by pure percentages, uh, you know, more material means there's probably more good material. Um, I certainly can't keep up with everything that I want to read. Um, uh, I think uh, I think it's harder for readers to pick and choose because there's so much material out there. Um, uh, and I think probably that does lead to readers maybe not plugging into Marvel and DC as easily as say you and I did when we were kids because you just you just picked up an issue and and you sort of picked it up as you went and it, and it, they were pretty welcoming. I think now that's maybe not quite as true um, because. Uh, you know, continuity is like barnacles, uh, and every once in a while you got to right. you got to scrape you got to scrape the barnacles off so the so the the sh- the ship is more seaworthy. Um, I think Marvel's probably in barnacle scraping territory right now, 
whereas DC has has gone through that process more recently. Right. Um, yeah, I, I've actually found myself, I was a Marvel kid growing up, and I mean, I always loved Batman, I always loved the Justice League, um, I still have my Lonely Place of Dying separate issues, um, the crossovers between Batman and the Teen Titans where, you know, Jason Todd had just been killed, and um, Dra- uh, Tim Drake came in, um, you know, th- there were certain, it was always... I always liked Marvel for the bombast and, you know, the the action and the characters, but I was always drawn to DC for for the stories. Um, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, I've always, I still go back and read those. Uh, you know, yeah, I think, the, I think the stuff that you, you know, you discover at just the right age, uh, or at, particularly when you're, you know, the right age and also when you're open to it, is sticks right. with you. Uh, forever, and so for me, that stuff is, yeah, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, Simonson's Thor, Miller Daredevil, um, you know, and I still have a bunch of those. Nexus, Grendel. I mean, the stuff that you're, you know, it, uh, well, it's like the old, you know, it's like the old quote when you know somebody asks what the golden age of science fiction was, and uh, the real answer is twelve, because <laughs> you know. That's when you know when you're just the right age to to be exactly. open to that stuff. It sticks you with the rest of your life. It really does. Um, and I, I I see a lot of that in DC now. Uh, their storylines are great. Um, what's going on? Uh, I've been collecting and going back and having my local shop get me some of the convergent stuff that I've missed. Um, I know a lot of people were up in arms with the new Fifty Two. I really liked what came out of the new 52. Um, Tom King's current run on Batman, uh, I don't know if you're reading it, but yeah, oh, yeah. writing for that, oh my, I mean, I've, I mean I've, I'm a man in my late 30s with kids, and I'm reading I'm reading the new run on, uh, you know, at night when it's quiet and I can actually relax and read, and I find myself getting almost as emotionally invested in a lot of what I'm reading coming out now, it seems like, I mean, you know, I know a lot of the smaller publishers are saying that, you know, the big the big two are flooding the market and da 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 and there's this glut of stuff. But for me, it seems like the writing has really, really taken off um, with with almost every comic. You know, you, you always have your, your independent and your artsy comics that are good to read. Um... You know, they're not boxed in by any any characters that have been around forever that people will lose their minds if you change. They're new stories, so they're original. And the, but I think what, what DC's been able to do by relaunching itself um, a couple times uh, has really helped um, a lot of the stories hit the same depths as novels. You know, I mean, I loved them as kids, like I said, for the action and the... And the fantasy of it, and and the, how cool are these characters? And you know, you're you're at the age where you are learning what your form of right and wrong will be. I think, I think you could do a really cool study on, you know, that perfect age, like you said, um, introducing them to a bunch of books and seeing which characters they gravitate towards. You know, I mean, I grew up a punk rock teenager. I had a punk rock band. I had a mohawk. I skateboarded. 
you know, I still have tattoos. I still have a couple of the piercings from back then, just a couple. But, you know, I guess, and I was always a Punisher, Lobo, Wolverine, Batman kind of guy. Now, well, I, you know, you I know, think I've, that really superhero comics are about the illusion of change. Um, right. You know, because, you know, and I've, I've, I've said this on a, on a few panels, that um, superhero comics are really all middle. You have a, you know, you have a beginning, you have an origin. And then everything else is middle because you never get to the last story. You never get to the end, right? Um, because these are, you know, these are properties that are designed to just go on and on and on. So, so the real job of superhero comics is is to to sell the audience the illusion of change, to sell the audience certainly characters that they're invested in, but also the the fact that these stories have have depth and meaning. Um, more than than they ultimately really really do because they're all just middle. Um, so right. So that's the that's the real trick when you're when you're doing superhero comics is to is to tell stories that seem to have uh, to seem to have you know permanent um, uh, permanent ramifications uh, so that the the audience really feels like they're invested in it. But ultimately, things probably even if it takes years things go back to square one because that's the just the nature of the beast. Right. Like me and my friends have the joke, the only people in comics who stay dead are Uncle Ben and the uh, Uncle Ben and the Waynes. You know? Um, <laughs> like, yeah, pretty much. Right, it used to be Uncle Ben and Bucky and that's not even true anymore, so... Exactly! Uh, that's why we had to amend it. I mean, it's, you know, Uncle Ben and the Waynes. And even then, you look at Flashpoint and... <laughs> You know, there's not Thomas Wayne is not necessarily dead. Uh, I think they just did one where they had um, they brought the they used the uh, was it the smiley pin from yeah, yeah. Watchmen, and now there's this weird alternate universe convert. I read them uh, convergence going on where they actually brought in Thomas Wayne face to face with Bruce Wayne. You know, so like it's even the Waynes aren't even. Aren't even sacred for dead for for dead anymore. Well, so you know you after. But I don't know, see anything wrong with that. Like personally, around, yeah. I mean, some of the characters have been around seventy five years, and most of them minimum fifty or sixty years. So you, there's a lot of you know you end up t- covering every piece of ground that you possibly can just to try to give the illusion of of stuff being fresh and. And that's not to you know that's not to, to denigrate superhero comics at all. I mean, I, obviously. Oh yeah, of course. I you know I grew up in them. I you know make my living in part writing them, uh, and 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 certainly love them. But you you know once you once you see on the um, uh, on the other side of the once you've seen on the other side of the curtain, there is you know you sort of know what the what the routine is. Um, and and superhero comics are 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 very much designed to be cyclical. Um, you know the, the the old you know the old standby used to be that the audience for super you know for superhero comics was adolescent boys and that that audience turned over every five years. Um, right. That's really not the case because the audience sticks around a lot and the audience thankfully is no longer simply adolescent boys. So the, the the kind of stories we tell and the way in which we tell them has had to, you know, has had to evolve with the audience and with um, with the kind of storytelling that we can do. Right. 
I mean, yeah, I, I, I see the point of some of the smaller publishers and some of the, the where you know where they do it all themselves. I, I see the point, and I actually agreed with them on some of their points, but I don't think. I don't know. I, I don't think it's going to tank. You know, I, I hear a lot of people talking that, you know, well, look what happened to comics in the 90s. And then, you know, I was like, well, if we're heading toward another Atari-style crash, there was actually really a lot of good stuff that came out of that. Comics obviously didn't die. Um, they're stronger today than they were when, you know, people were like, oh, it's over in the 90s. And so I, I, I don't see a lot of the doom on the horizon. Um, um, yeah, I, I think that the, some people are saying, but there's also so many independent labels that are putting out really good books. So you know, I mean, it's yeah, the, 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 you know, a lot, in a lot of ways, the barriers have fallen, the the exactly. um, the gateways have fallen, the gatekeepers are are no longer, uh, you know, the gatekeepers that you know major publishers are still just um, are are. Um, you know, are still there, and there's, you know, it's still uh, a fairly, um, uh, you know, a fairly tall mountain to climb to to get into uh, Marvel and DC. It's 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 always been that way. It's always going to be that way. Um, right. But I think that you know the real um, the real positive is that there are so many more venues to tell stories in comics. We're now serving a lot wider audience than we ever have before and i think that's to me if there if there's one uh, if there's one constant if there's one you know if, if you want to put a pin in any particular story about comics right now it's that um we're telling more uh, more diverse stories with more diverse um ca- casts and more diverse creators than ever before um and yeah. that doesn't mean that 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 uh that that job is done um, by any means, but it means we're headed in the right direction. Um, right. I mean, yeah. I, I've always held out that comics are probably the most diverse media um, yeah. ever, and, 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 and have and been for a while. Uh, and and I, I look at it like, you know, there are a lot of comics that I have no interest in reading. Um, and I think that's a really positive development because... Comics shouldn't just be appealing to me. They should be appealing to to a wide swath of people. Um, certainly, you know, I would like some stuff that uh, that appeals to me, and there's plenty of it. Um, but I'm really glad when I look at a book that that's well done, but just doesn't happen to be my cup of tea. Um, I think right. that's the best thing in the world because that means. That means it's going to reach somebody else. Hopefully, that brings somebody else into the tent that maybe wouldn't have wouldn't have shown up for for Batman or Daredevil or Star Wars. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's had such a good impact on on my life, and I've gotten so much joy out of it, and met good friends, and you know, knowing comics and reading comics has opened up opportunities. I mean, you know, I, I would want that for anybody. And if what I like didn't get them there, then, you know, who am I to say, well, that's not really, you know what I mean? That's not really, well, that's not a comic book. That's a, you know, it's, if, it's, if there's a medium that can bring someone the same, if not more satisfaction to their, to their life that that comics have brought to me, then I think, yeah, the industry's all the better for it. 
Most definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, by by all means, uh, if if it's you know if it's not of interest to me, I think it's great. Uh, and, right. <laughs> and and un- unfortunately, I think we have you know there's still a segment in in the in the readership that wants everything to be for them, that wants everything to be to their taste, and that's you know that's not a real that's not a real healthy way to look at um, look at an industry. Uh, I think people still not a healthy way to look at anything. Uh, th- <laughs> yeah, I mean the people that that are that are um, that are upset because they don't like you know who's wearing Captain America's costume right now or the fact that you know Thor's been a lady for a while. Well, you know you don't oh, you know if you want if you want exactly what you want, go into go into a restaurant and order dinner. You know they'll they'll bring you what you want and that's what you'll pay for. Uh, right, but or stick to your old pull boxes and never buy a new issue again. Yeah, you don't, you know, but you don't get to go into a restaurant and tell them what to put on the menu for every item, um, because right. you might like that at some point. Um, you know, it ultimately comes down to to vote with your dollar, support the books that you like, um, and tell people about the books that you like, uh, and you know, your your dollar, your vote, your dollar means that you're sending a message to the publisher that says. I want more books like this because believe me, that's what, you know, that's what publishers are, publishers are in business for. Publishers are in business to sell copies. Um, uh, right. That's, that's, that's ultimately the, the, you know, the primary goal because if they don't sell copies, they don't stay in business. So, um, you know, I think sometimes that's forgotten in this, in this, this hobby, this vocation is that ultimately it's a business Um and certainly for the for creators, you want to you know you want to pursue the stories that you love and you want to tell the stories that you're passionate about. Um, but for a publisher, you know, at the end of the day, the whole thing comes down to dollars and cents, and they need to publish comics that sell enough that the whole thing is is viable as a business model. So you vote with your dollar, you buy the books that you like. You're telling the publisher, give me more like this. Right. Speaking of of publishers that. That go away. I, I don't know if you can speak to it, but um, do, do do you have do you have access to any of the the books that you worked on from places that maybe don't exist anymore, or does that just go away with them? Because I know you did a lot of work for for uh, you know Scion and and stuff, and you know a, a couple of the other books for for labels that aren't around anymore. Like, are you able to talk? Like, what happens when? When a publisher does go down, do you do you get to retain those stories, or do they go with them? Well, it's you know every every situation is a little different. Um, uh, it's um, uh, <clears throat> like for, for for the cross gen stuff. Ultimately, yeah. I mean, I was trying to be was, delicate about it. <laughs> Disney came in and bought it. Uh, Disney came in and bought it. So ultimately, if those if those books are to be seen again, you'll see them through Marvel Comics because. Uh, okay. new spoiler, spoiler, Disney owns Marvel. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and most um, of my childhood at this point. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, you know, it's, it's different things at different publishers. Usually somewhere somebody owns the stuff. Uh, right. um, so, you know, you, if, unless it's a, you know, if it's a creator owned series, if it's, if it's yours, like some of the creator owned stuff that I've done um uh done you know over over the years of my career um that's yours that never changes um uh 
so so the you know the that's really the goal is is get enough creator own material out there that you can do can do your own stuff and then you're not you're not as much a prisoner to the whims of of publishers and the market and um you you know you're you have a portfolio of things that belong to you um the the rest of it is work for hire and um you know and i don't mean to say that that's not a good gig i mean i am right I enjoyed virtually everything i've done um uh throughout my career uh you know whether it's you know, green lantern or silver surfer or witchblade um they've all been really good gigs but at, you know when you get to the end of that you you hand it over to somebody else and um and somebody else picks up the ball and goes with it for a while that's just the nature of work for hire um right the you know the the real pleasure of creator owned is nothing ever happens to that property unless you want it to unless unless you agree to it uh and and most of the time unless you do it um so it's you know it's kind of a you know it, it, you just have to make your peace with it um you know I, I, certainly having created Kyle Rayner uh i have a i have an affection for that character that um that that is goes beyond a typical work for hire character. Um, I probably right. have an affection for Sarah Pizzini in Witchblade more so than just you know a character that I have no ownership stake in. Um, you you live with these characters um, in those cases for years at a time. I mean, I think I probably uh, you know I probably. Um, lived with Sarah Pizzini on Witchblade for ten years. I mean, that's a long time, and it's almost yeah. a daily relationship. So you get, you do get, you do get attached. You know, in your in your heart, you're attached. In your head, you know that it's not yours, and that eventually you, you have to hand it back. Right. Yeah, I, I could see that. I, I mean, I was trying to find, you know, the the, the delicate way to ask about that because I know that there's publishers that aren't around that were. Um, that I remember that that I don't I don't see anything come out from and then I look it up and I'm like oh that's a shame like that you know that 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 went away so that I was wondering about that how that worked it um you know you know I, it was what happened at Crossing was a shame because it it uh, it was hubris really that that you know took the company down we we tried to do too much too soon and and it cost too much and um and it really went. Um, you know, it went south far sooner than anybody expected because um, we we burned through the money. I mean, that's a the, the the reality is it's expensive to run a comics publisher, and we burned through the money a lot quicker than we should have. Um, uh, so you know, and maybe even if if that experiment had been done even five years later, when when comics were much more of the zeitgeist. Um, um, culturally and and very much more so in the um, in the forefront of where people were going for entertainment uh, whether it was you know the comics themselves or movies and TV it might have been um, uh, it might have been a success but uh, it just didn't work out that way and um, I don't I don't look back at the whole experience with with any real regret because I learned a hell of a lot doing it. I, you know, I worked with people who were either friends already or ended up being friends. Um, and, uh, 
you know, I, I don't know. Anytime you make a, anytime you can make a living doing comics, it's not too bad. Um, my, my only regret is that it ended like it did. Um, but other than that, I, you know, I try to take all the positives away from it. Most definitely. So, do you have any, uh, do you have any creator-owned stuff cooking now? I mean, I know you, you, you were doing stuff with Convergence not that long ago, and uh, you're still, you still do stuff with Top Cow, right? Um, yeah, there's, uh, there's some rumblings of some new stuff with Top Cow that uh, will be announced in the hopefully near future, and you know, I did. Oh, cool. uh, I did Dragon Prince at Top Cow, which is creator owned. I did uh, Ravine yes. with Jay Fonzeich, which we which we co own. Um, uh, I've got Shinku at Image, which will make its return at some point when we can gather the the creative team back together. Um, nice Samurai Heaven and Earth at Dark Horse, uh, and there's more. You know, there's more stuff. Uh, there's more stuff that we're actually already working on it, but I can't tell you what it is because we haven't announced it yet. But there's more, gotcha. more creator, more creator own stuff coming, and and honestly, those are you know the, those end up being the projects that are nearest and dearest to you, just because it's um, uh, it's yours. It didn't exist before, um, right? And and certainly the the stuff that I'm doing, uh, you can also consider it. You know, creator own because I I own part of the company. So uh, all those nice. all those characters, all that the the books that we're doing are you know sort of owned by the company. But as a part owner of the company, yeah, that, I, I have a piece of all that stuff. And and again, it 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 feels much more um it, it feels much more dear because it's you know it it's something that's that you're bringing into the world. I guess it's a difference yeah. between babysitting somebody's kids and having your own. <laughs> right, most definitely. I I, I totally get, <laughs> I get that analogy. Um, but yeah, man, that's that's awesome that there's definitely more stuff coming. Um, I mean, I was gonna say. Hold on a second. Hold on, my computer's looking funny for a second. And it completely derailed my train of thought. It's a good thing I can edit all this nonsense out. Um, on, hey, baby, can you move over? Sorry, my ten, my ten year old came up too for a second, and then I looked at my computer. It's still recording. It just like it didn't look like it was for a second. I guess we hit an hour, and one of my counters went zero 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 zero, and I was like, I had that moment of gut dread of like, oh my god. It didn't catch anything, and I opened up my actual call recorder, and it, it, that everything's fine. <laughs> like, I, I always have that fear that like there's going to be some technical glitch, and somebody's going to be like, "Oh, you don't even have a podcast. <laughs> you just so there's going to be no episode. You just wanted to talk to me, you skeever." Um, <laughs> it like completely threw me off, but no, we're good. I'm, <laughs> I promise I will have you an episode that you can share out on Friday. <laughs> it, it, wow, that completely derailed me. I forgot what I was going to say. Well, you know, fix it in post, as they say. Yeah, exactly. But I thought I no. Well, the zero 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 had me thinking that there was nothing in post to fix for for a moment. Okay, we're good. So, <coughs> excuse me. Excuse me. Yes. All right, I'm almost. I, I promise, I'm almost done. 
I'll finish up and then we'll play. Um, I've got two Nerf guns and a samurai sword pointed at me right now. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm under duress. Beautiful duress, but I'm under duress. <laughs> so, um, with 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 the summer, do you, do you have any? Um, I, I can, like I said, I can make it sound like none of this past two minutes ever happened. <laughs> uh, boom, boom, boom. Okay, so with summer approaching, um, do you have any? Do you have any con appearances you want to plug for for people to, who listen to know where they can um, come find you this summer if you're going to be out and about? This, this summer is actually like I've been on the I've been on the road for I think six of the last seven weeks or something like that. So um, yeah, it's you know it, and that's just the way it worked out. It used to be that you know it used to be yeah that summer was con season and you you know you did a few you did a few cons and you know but now it's there, there's really there's really no such thing as con season. It's just all year. Um, you know they go right up into um, uh, they go right up into you know first or second week of December, and they start again you know second week of January. Uh, it's it's a you know it's a year round thing now. Um, so my. Uh, you know, my my con season was craziest in, in May when I was, like I said, I was in South Africa, Ontario, California, Cuba, and Phoenix um, on four out of five weekends in May, or four out of five weekends, whatever that time frame was. So I, you know, like I didn't even know where I was half the time. Um, <laughs> uh, um, so, so I was just in uh, North Carolina last weekend. I am uh, blissfully home this weekend, and you know can actually watch my kid uh, uh, in his Babe Ruth playoffs. Uh, nice. I will be at uh, Denver Comic Con the last weekend of June into July. Um, I'll be uh, sticking my head in at San Diego in July because it's uh, sort of the necessary evil that you have to you have to be out there. Um, uh, and then, um, and then things get a little get a little looser for the for the summer because I I didn't agree to, uh, you know I I tried not to agree to to everything that that came down. Uh, so I'll be in, right. I think Kingston, Ontario, in August at a toy show just because I wanted to go to Ontario. Um, and then uh, later this year I'll be we're still working out the rest of the schedule, but I'll be in. Um, uh, I'll be I'll be at Thought Bubble UK for the first time, which is kind of cool. That's in September, um, and then there's another international show that I don't think I've been announced at yet for uh, for the fall. So, um, yeah, it's you know honestly the guys who do the guys who do a show like like every weekend, I just have no idea how they do it. Uh, it's it's. It's a huge drain. It's a huge chunk out of your work schedule. Um, it's uh, you know the it's work. It's, it's ultimately the conventions uh, are work, and the travel is work. And you know, God forbid you get sick uh, because then you know you're you lose another three or four days uh, on your schedule. So it's yeah. Uh, you know, look, it's it's. Um, that happened to me and my 10-year-old. Like I said, we did a Momocon here in Atlanta <clears throat> in May, and it was over a weekend. So Thursday we showed up fired up and ready to go and all the cosplaying. I did my interviews and 
We played our game demos, and then by Saturday night, we were both like, oh, God. And we, <laughs> we both ended up with Con Crud and spread it to my wife, and she was super grateful for that. Uh, um, so, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, you know, and again, I don't mean to, look, I sit behind a table and, you know, sign my name. It's 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 not like I'm I'm uh, digging ditches. It's not it's not the worst thing in the world. But it traveling does, is taxing, um, man. I do it for work. It, it it's does taxing. it does drain you. Uh, yeah, the the travel itself is not fun, um, and you just you know you, you get you get worn down. And there's also you know the there's also the factor of of you know most people who most people who work in comics. Um, sit in a room by themselves all day. Every day. Right. Uh, right. Except <laughs> except for people who, who share a studio, this is a very solitary pursuit. Um, so you go from being by yourself uh, during your working hours virtually all the time to being in a room with 30,000 people. Um, the, the, you know, the contrast between those two um, is, is pretty substantial and I think that's one of the reasons that a lot of people end up getting, you know, getting the concrete because they they interact with with so many people in a in a confined environment. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also just, you know, it's also just overwhelming to to have that many people around you. Um, I'm, you know, I'm fairly social and fairly extroverted, so it's not a problem for me. But you know, a lot of people in comics are not uh, are not that way, and it's kind of overwhelming for them to suddenly go from that being in a room by by themselves to you know to having people everywhere all the time it's it's a it's a pretty the elevator opening up in the zombie movie <clears throat> yeah yeah it's it's pretty uh, <laughs> it's it's pretty stark um so i i know i know a number of creators who don't do a lot of shows because of that reason it's because it's just it's just an overwhelming experience and um you know it's it's easier to stay home and do your work um Right. Uh, certainly, working with Ominous Press now, um, and sort of starting the, you know, starting the, the promotion for the company now that the the first book is going to be out next month uh, in July. Um, it's you know it's incumbent upon those of us at Ominous that that we do a few more shows to 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 be out there and to be uh, promoting what we do. So it's a you know, it's a necessary aspect of 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 the job, um, uh, and you just got to you know, you just got to grit your teeth and get through it, uh, and and then you you find a way to catch catch up on the work again, uh, one way or another. Right. <clears throat> ah, hold on, baby. Let me finish. <clears throat> so when you know when people inevitably ask, well, how many you know. How many uh, you know? How many shows do you do in a year? My answer is inevitably too many. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's you know they're they're always there, um, but you know you have you have a great time at most of them, uh, and certainly the international shows are. Uh, you know, we started started off talking about that. They're amazing opportunities to go places that you would never have. Um, you would never have the opportunity to, to go to. I mean, I've been to New Zealand, India, Malta, um, you know, wow. London a number of times. Uh, it's in Mexico City, uh, Uruguay. 
you know, you just you sort of pinch yourself and and certainly when those invitations come in, um, it's been um, you know you make time. We we went to Greece uh, last December and just an amazing trip and they took wonderful care of us. It was like a couple of weeks before Christmas, not a great time to be away, but you just find a way to make it work. Right. Did you say Malta? Yeah. Yeah. I went to Malta. Did you go to the Popeye set? Um, uh, it's still there. We did not go, but it's still there. And then we saw, we saw brochures for it at the hotel. Yeah. I, th- that's what I mean. Like, they like preserved it, and that's like their tourist attraction is to actually go to uh, Sweet Haven. I would have, yeah. I would have, I would have gone. <laughs> like personally, that is so cool to me. <laughs> I still watch that movie once a year. <laughs> um, it's uh, yeah, Malta's you know Malta's another place that's just you feel like you're you know you're sort of uh, you've been moved to another time period because it's it's. Um, you know, it's very much like being in a uh, Valletta is the capital of Malta, and it's very much like being in a uh, uh, you know being in a medieval city. Uh, just you know, but somehow cars got there. Right, that's awesome. So, how how can people find you um, um, on social media? I am and- not on. I am not on Facebook because uh, I just I, I I know I should be, but I just don't have time for it. So I'm uh, I'm on I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's just at Ron Mars. Um, my website is ronmars.com, and it needs to be updated. Um, and uh, you know I'm I'm also I'm part of Ominous Press, so the Ominous Press website, which is ominouspress.com, is also uh, where you can find out about some of what I'm doing. Awesome. And, it, I mean, is it anything that people can do uh, pre-orders on? Is there any way they can get behind some of the new stuff that, that will be coming out? Um, our first issue, which is Dread Gods number 1, which is by me and Tom Ranney, um, uh, actually is going to press uh, this week. So um, awesome. uh, hopefully people have asked their retailers about it. You can still ask your retailer about it and get a, and get a reorder on it. Um, the first issue will be out on um, July 12th. We actually bumped it up a little bit, so we would get uh, should we get the issue out before San Diego, so we could have copies in San Diego to promote it, but also so that you know the release of the book doesn't get stepped on by the monster that is San Diego uh, for that for that buy. Um, so we're out the week before San Diego, which is July 12th, and uh, that's by me and Tom Ranny and. Tom has uh, this. This might be the best looking job Tom's ever done, and he's done a lot of really good looking jobs. Um, uh, so, so that was you know that's really uh, where the focus is right now. There's more stuff that will actually be announced at San Diego that I'm doing as well. But um, for now, the whole focus is is Dread Gods number one. Um, we're really proud of how the first issue came out. It's uh, Lead story by me and Tom Ranney. Uh, Bart Sears did uh, wrote and drew a backup, and then there's some bonus material in it. So it's a 48-page issue for the price of a regular size issue. Awesome. Well, uh, I'll tell you what. Um, I always have open door uh, with people who have been gracious enough to be on if they ever want to come on. 
um, when when this hits market, uh, if you want, you are always more than welcome. If you just want to shoot the crap about comics in general or uh, anything to do to do with ominous, you are always more than welcome to to come on and and talk with me if you want to. I would love to. Um, it's uh, I you know I always. I like doing podcasts because it's an actual conversation with somebody rather than, you know, here's 10 questions uh, on an email. Please answer them and send them back and we'll print it. Um, that's a little, uh, th- those tend to be a little, um, I don't know, a little cold. They, you know, there's not as much back and forth. Yeah, I, I don't like it like this, I would yeah. be happy to do it again. Yeah, I mean, and, and like I said, when we first started, I mean, you know, I, me and you sitting there talking about friendlies and eating ice cream as a kid, and I'm like, I, I, I mean, I'm I'm just sitting here recording. Like, this is how I do uh, every episode. Um, sometimes I get self-conscious about, about the, the approach, but I really like an actual conversation with people. Um, yeah, well, I, you know, I actually prefer prefer those, you know, prefer this to, to a more planned kind of, uh, you know, uh, interview type thing. I prefer those for, for um, you know, for panels too. We just I was just out in Phoenix a few weeks ago, and and they had a spotlight panel on me, which which was very kind of them. I I've been yeah. musically said, um, but it was it was first thing Friday morning, and um, they obviously had a security issue with a you know nut with a gun in the convention the day before. Um, I heard about that. So uh, so that that meant the security measures that they had to institute uh, starting Friday morning were, were that much more severe, um, or not severe, but were that much more complete, metal detectors and pat-downs, stuff like that, so that, you know, so that they could make sure 100% that everybody was safe. So a lot of people weren't even in the building when my, my panel went off. A lot of people were still standing outside, um, which, again, is not... You know, not a big deal, not a complaint at all. Um, so we ended up with, you know, my spotlight panel had a, I don't know, fifteen or, you know, fifteen or eighteen people or something like that. And, um, you know, rather than sit up on a stage and be interviewed, I just, you know, brought the chair down to everybody and we sat in a circle and we just talked. And to me, that was so much more fun and rewarding than than you know going through where to get your ideas from and you know how did you get your start and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, one of the nice things about comics is that the um, the creators are accessible, and the fans, by and large, are um, uh, very kind and very informed, and people that you you know people that you end up having a relationship with. So um, this, that's what I'm learning doing this podcast. Yeah, this kind of stuff cool. is is uh, to me what sets comics apart from a lot of other. Uh, uh, a lot of other entertainment uh, media, because there's that um, uh, there's that two way flow between the audience uh, and the creators. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you go back, if you go back and you look at, at my podcast and you, and you look at the guest list, you will see how comic heavy <laughs> it is. It is skewed. Uh, I find myself more and more. Um, a getting to talk to to people like you, and you know, and like I said, I had Brett Booth, um, Eric Larson on, uh, Matt Hawkins from Top Cow, and I end up having like really good conversations. I mean, 
not it doesn't take away for, from the other shows, but there's definitely a different tone to my comic book related episodes, and you'll you'll see it if you look at the guests how heavy comic skewed it is for the exact same thing reasons that that you just said, um, and I, I I get scattered and. Um, I guess that's why I get self-conscious, because I, I will literally bounce all over the place, as you heard, <laughs> with everything. Um, so I definitely uh, I, I definitely appreciate how open you were, and, you know, you are definitely welcome back on. Um, anytime you want to come on, or, you know, I'll see something for Ominous come out, and I'll reach out and see if it's something you want to come on and talk about. If not, you can you can buzz me anytime, and I will definitely make time to have you on. Cool, sounds good. Well, I'll I'll get um, uh, shoot me your shoot me your email address in the window, and I'll uh, I'll have uh, one of the one of the office elves send you the uh, PDF of the first issue. Beautiful, awesome, thank you. Uh, now, now if you hate it, you probably shouldn't tell me, and you know, uh, I'll come on and. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can just get a message one day. Yeah, it was dot dot dot. Good. <laughs> no, man. Um, I, I definitely appreciate it. that's awesome. I'd, I'd love to get down on being able to read that most definitely, and uh, I will. Uh, I'll put out on all my social media stuff for people to uh, uh, sign up for the newsletter, which I actually did while we were talking for Ominous, um, and get them to do some of the. Definitely push them to do some of the pre-orders. I see on, on the site that they can do. Uh, keep their keep their eyes open for the new books that are coming out. Um, I'll definitely plug in your, be, be plugging what, what's coming out of the pike for that. Awesome, man. For you very, uh, very appreciated. We'll get to, I think the, 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 the final file went off the press today. So we'll get you that. Um, we'll get you that Beautiful. by tomorrow. Probably. Cool. All right. Well, I appreciate it. And then, like I said, man, reach out anytime. Most definitely. Sounds good. I will, uh, I will talk to you soon. Yes, sir. All right. Thanks dude. Have a good night. You too, man. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. That was Ron Mars. Like I said, awesome episode. Really enjoyed talking to him. Um, definitely sign up. Find a way to get your copy of Dread Gods. Uh, sign up for the newsletter on Ominous Press as well. And uh, as always, you can find me at Gnarly Canary on Twitter and at The Happy Haven on iTunes and SoundCloud. Leave a five-star review if you could, and it makes it easier for people to find me. And spread it word of mouth if you want to if you think I'm worth listening to. If not, hey, it's all free, right? As always, remember to make the world a better place, one nerd at a time. See you guys.